Father God, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, God, uh, that you day in and day out have given us this incredible gift to help us with life, to guide us, to teach us the ways of your kingdom. And, and Jesus, you didn't just give us your, your word far away. You have promised us your spirit and you are with us, and we pray, Spirit of God, that you would illuminate these words, and that God, as we dig into your word, God, that in the way that only you can, that we would walk out today inspired, strengthened. That God, we would know that, that you have a word for each of us in a very particular way, and, it, and we would have that experience of knowing that, that, that you have a word for us today. So we pray for your inspiration, Pray, Lord, right now that we would collectively as a church, that we would have a posture of submission and surrender, that we would continue to confess our faith that we believe that you are God who speaks through your word. So we are here and we are listening. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In your name we pray, amen. So we are in the 11th chapter of Romans in our series through the book of Romans. And the 11th chapter of Romans is really uh, the third part of chapters 9, 10, and 11 where Paul is focusing in, the ch in the, with the church and answering some questions that the church has that the early Roman church probably had about the church's relationship with Israel, in particular the Jewish people. The early Roman church was, was uh, most likely uh, a church that was predominantly Gentiles because we see in history that early on in the time, Rome had actually expelled from Rome all of the Jewish people. And so the early church was mostly all Gentile people, and then the Jewish people come back into Rome later on, and the Gentile church is thinking about how to welcome and how to interact with the Jewish community and what does it look like to be the church on this side of the cross in relationship with the Jewish people and in particular those of the, the Jewish faith. And Paul is asking this question of, of what, what is going on with Israel? What is our relationship with Israel meant to be? And, and, and he's been dealing with this tension of the sovereignty of God, about how God is in control. We believe that, that he is sovereign and he, has, he is providential in, in orchestrating the whole story of humanity. And yet there's also, we see in chapter 10, this call to human responsibility. This balance, this, this mystery of, of the sovereignty and the control of God and yet also the call for human beings to be responsible and to respond to the gospel. And in chapter 11, Paul is drilling in on how this relationship between Israel and the church is to play out. And I believe that he has a message for Israel in this text. A message for Israel back then and also a message for today. And I think also a message for us as we think about our relationship with Israel. It's probably no surprise to you that there's a lot happening in Israel right now. There's a lot of tensions. There's a, there's a war happening between Israel and, and there's this, this concern or maybe even some, some very real anxieties about, the, about our world. 
about the dangers and the perplexities and the nuance of, of politics and, and what is happening in our world. And, and I believe that, that, that there's some wonderful help in, in today's text today for us as Christians as we think about this. And I believe we have a message for this. And not just a message. I think there's a, a message here, but there's also some, some, some thoughts in this chapter about our method. About how we respond with a message and then also our mentality. And so we're going to be digging into a message, the method, and the mentality. I was, t- I, I, I was talking to my kids last night, and they always are trying to prepare themselves for the sermon. And so Tristan says, Dad, how many points do you have tomorrow? And I said, son, I have nine points tomorrow. He said, nine? Uh, As you can see, they're not here yet. We'll see if they come to the second service. Uh, And I said, and we're going to get through it on time. So we're going to go pretty quick through here. Um, I think a lot lot of the text is uh, self-explanatory, and we're going to work through this uh, quickly. First, in chapter 25, in the opening section, uh, the first thing I believe that God wants us to know As you will see in verse 25, he says this. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight. There's a pause here as he's talking to the church. He says, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. There's this mystery that Paul is writing about. He says, this mystery of the relationship with the church, of our relationship with Israel. And I love that he just calls it what it is. There's this mystery about the the sovereignty of God and the human responsibility of people. And I believe here Paul is telling us a really important reminder here. And this is the fill in the blank that you're going to, I hope, become familiar with writing down today. God is faithful. God is faithful. He tells us here that God is faithful in the first point is that Israel's rejection was partial. There is a remnant. Israel's rejection is partial and there is a remnant. In 25, he says this, brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. In verses one through six, Paul unpacks what this looks like, and he talks about how uh, it can be easy for the people of Israel, as he's writing to the Jewish church, to feel like, oh, God's doing this new thing with the Gentiles, with the people that are no longer Jews, and he's just, he's rejected Israel completely. He's forgotten about Israel completely. He said, you know what? They let me down, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, there's no more time for Israel. But Paul, if you read verses one through six, he says, that's not true. There's always been a remnant. Because there's always been a remnant. He actually uses the, the example of the prophet Elijah. If you remember last year, we were in the book of Kings, and Elijah, at one point, he's in a cave in depression, he's all depressed, and he's crying out to God. He's saying, Lord, I'm the last of all the prophets. And God says, no, you're not. There's another 3,000, another, there's a bunch more people that, that I am still calling. There's always a remnant. God always has a remnant of his people. And Paul actually uses himself. He says, look, I'm a part of that remnant. He says, I was a Jew of Jews. He says, in verses one through six, he says, I am one of the brothers. And God showed up on the road to Damascus, and he grabbed me, and he's using me as a part of this story. He says, the story's not over. 
Now, there is a partial hardening that's happening. We remember in chapter 9, we talked about this, this hardening that seems to happen in the heart of humans. And we see the story of Pharaoh, and, and it seems to happen when you don't receive the word. Eventually, there's this hardening that starts to happen. But Paul wants the church to know that God's not done with Israel. There is a remnant. There are still people there. Second, fill in the blank. God is faithful. You can write that down again, please. God is faithful. Israel's rejection, hear this, wasn't a surprise. Now, it might have been a surprise to Israel. It might have been a surprise to the reader as we're reading it, but it's the story. My friend Wes is in data analysis. He always talks about, uh, I remember he preached a while back and he said, you know, it's not a bug, it's a feature. And that seems to be a bit of the story of the Old Testament. You see time and time again the people of God rejecting him and then God working in spite of them and continuing to use his people in very surprising ways. And it's a part of the story that in spite of us, God is faithful. We see this in verses 7 through 10. If you were to go and read this chapter, you can see, at, actually at one point, Paul says that God himself, is. there is this, this very intentionality that God, for the sake of Gentiles, for the sake of the people, God is doing this hardening in the people of Israel. He's working and he's, and he's moving. It's his story. Third, Look at what it says, actually, actually, look what it says in, at the end of chapter 20, uh, verse 25. It says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This reminds us, as we think about this truth, that God is faithful. We remember all the way back to Abraham. Do you remember the story of Abraham? When God shows up to the father of Israel and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. But what does he say? You will be a blessing to the nations. This has been the story all along. It's not a surprise. All along, the people of Israel have been meant to be a blessing, to be the instrument of God's blessing. And the blessing is that all the Gentiles will know God. Third, fill in the blank. God is faithful. Can you write that down? God is faithful. Hear this, Israel's rejection isn't forever. Israel will be saved. This is what the text says. This is what the text says. Look at verse 26 and following. It says this. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, when Paul says all Israel will be saved, uh, there's a lot of debate in commentaries among scholars about what he's saying here. Does this mean that every Israelite at all times in any place will be saved? Probably not. Early in Romans 9, he uses this, this rhetoric to, to talk about the people of God in the same way that like if we said when, uh, at the football game, all of Chowchilla was at the football game. 
Now, was every single Chowchilla citizen at the football game? No, but most of us were. And Paul seems to be saying that he seems to be talking about there'll be this moment that God promises when there seems to be some sort of revival, some sort of, of, of revelation amongst the people of Israel, amongst the, the Jewish people where they come to know God and be saved. There seems to be, I believe this is a prophecy about something that is to come that Paul is writing about. And he says, until the time comes, we know that the, what, what he's, as we read the scriptures and the story of scriptures, we know that, that until the time comes is until all of the Gentiles have heard the good news, until the, until all, until the gospel has been proclaimed to the ends of the nation and all have heard. It's a statement. There's a timing involved. And this isn't a surprise. This has been prophesied. In Zechariah 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 10, the prophet Zechariah, I believe, prophesied about this. He says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas of mercy. Notice what God is doing here. Because he will pour out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced. This is Zechariah. This is before Jesus came. Who's he talking about? Who's the one whom they have pierced? This is Christ, the Messiah. The one that many reject. He says, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. And they shall weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. This is a promise of this revival. Jesus himself and the Mount of Olives, when he's talking to his disciples about the end times, about his second return. He talks about Jerusalem. He talks about the people of God. He says this, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often, look, look at this, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. But I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A confession of faith in Jesus. A confession of faith that Christ is the Son of God, that he truly is the, the Messiah that we've been waiting for, and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we have this message that I believe is for Israel and for us today, and it's a message I hope you're catching, that God is faithful. But in this, there's also, I believe, a method that we are called in how we deliver the message. This is really important. I can't tell you how many times I have known people that they know the message, but man, is their method horrible. You know what I'm talking about? I believe here Paul is writing to the church and giving us some important instruction on our method for sharing this message. And the first is this. Write this down. I don't know if you caught this yet. God is faithful. Can you write that down? 
Don't be scared. Share the gospel with the nations. God is faithful. Don't be scared. Share the gospel with the nations. Look at verse 13 here. Paul writes a little warning to the church. He says this. Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, right? So now he's talking to the church, the Gentile church, who's thinking about their relationship with Israel. He says, inasmuch then I, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. I love in the devotional this, this week, Wendy uh, was talking about uh, this idea that, that we're called to make them jealous. Now, what does that mean? I believe it's a call here that we would share our story. We would talk about Jesus as the Messiah and how he's changed our life. That we would not be afraid to open up the Old Testament and say, I love the Torah. I love the, the Old Testament. And, and let's look at how this points to a Messiah. Some uh, scholars, some people, they, 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 they read the story of the scriptures and this idea that all of Israel will be saved, and they come to this conclusion that really there are two paths or two covenants for the people of God. There's the Gentile covenant, the new covenant that we as Christians stand under, but because God is faithful, that there's still, God is still gonna honor this old covenant with Abraham, and he's gonna actually make another way for Israel someday. And I believe that Romans 11 here stands in strong opposition to that saying that that is a lie and that we are a gospel people that believe that the truth of the gospel is that the way to God is through Jesus Christ and that we are called to be a people that share that good news with the nations and that includes Israel. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't, Take away Palestine, Palestine, Palestine. Doesn't take away all. We're to, we're to share this with all the nations, including Israel. A great commentator on Romans is a guy named John Stott. He said some stuff about this that I found really helpful. He said some Christians have attempted to develop a theological basis for leaving Jews alone in their Judaism reminding us that God's covenant with Abraham was an everlasting covenant. They maintain that it is still in force and that therefore God saves Jewish people through their own covenant without any necessity for them to believe in Jesus. This proposal is usually called a two-covenant theology. Listen to this. I'll have it on the screen for you. Romans 11 stands in clear opposition to this trend because of its insistence on the fact that there is only one olive tree to which Jewish and Gentile believers both belong. Jewish people will be grafted in again if they do not persist in unbelief. So faith in Jesus is essential for them. More on this olive tree to come. Second, write this down. <clears throat> I don't know if you're catching a theme here. God is faithful. God is faithful. So don't be arrogant and appreciate Israel's part in our story. Don't get it twisted. 
God's not done. Remember the message earlier that, 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 that there's still a remnant, that God's still going to save Israel. We believe that these words are true. We believe that Romans 11 is for us and that God's not lying when he says he will save all Israel. Look at verse 18. Paul says this. He says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Now, in Romans 11, we couldn't get into it too much, but there's this wonderful object lesson that Paul uses of an olive tree. And he talks about the olive tree being a picture of the people of God. And how God has grafted in to the olive tree Gentiles. We were a wild shoot, a wild olive tree, and God has used this wild shoot and grafted us in. And in the process of that grafting, there's also some branches that he says were pruned off. And he, and he says in Romans 11, he will also graft some of those natural branches back in. I love what Timothy Keller says. He says, it is most inappropriate for the Gentiles, if you're, if you're not a Jew, that would be you, that would be me, to be disrespectful to the Jews. Because we have a Jewish Bible. We have a Jewish Messiah. So we're called to have this honor and love for the story of scriptures, for the faithfulness of the Jewish people. And the goodness of what God has done. Don't be arrogant. Don't miss this important call here. I was reminded of this, uh, this last year I got to go on a, with my son Tristan to Washington, D.C. And one of the museums we went to was the National Holocaust Museum. And I went to this it was probably one of the most sobering, saddest, heartbreaking, um, revelations of my life. Of just seeing the evil of, that we are capable of. And the evil of anti-Semitism. And a call, uh, the, the evil of, of of just believing that there's any sort of human race, any sort of, of, of humanity, of image bearers of God that are less than. It's just not a part of our story. And we must be a people that constantly push back at that and constantly uh, call that what it is, alive from the pit of hell. That any sort of attitude towards our Jewish friends, any sort of attitude towards anyone who's different than us is never anything but love and charity, and care. Third, write this down. God is faithful. God is faithful, but don't be ignorant. Look forward to revival. Do you believe that the Bible's true? Do we believe that the Bible's true? Do we believe that this word that we're reading in Romans chapter 11 is true? Do we believe that all things that God said or says are going to happen will happen? Okay. Now, the, the tricky part is, 
do we understand what it's saying? There's a hermeneutic here. We have to figure out what this is. And there's a whole bunch of debate and a whole bunch of questions about when Jesus will turn and whether you're a post-millennial or a pre-millennial or a pan, whatever, whatever it is. I, I, we're not going to get into that. Romans 11 is not talking about that. It's talking about the reality here that God is telling us there will come a day when Christ will return. There will come a day when all Israel will be saved. That's, that's what he's saying. There will come this, it seems to be, this revival that will happen amongst the Jewish people. And so we should be a people that long for that and pray for that. And do all that we can to, to, to be instruments to help and whatever God calls us to that, look at verse 23, he says, and even if they, if they do not continue, he's talking about the Jewish people, in their unbelief, he says, they will be what? Grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. Who's doing the work here? God. I love this. I think this is so helpful to you and me as we Reflect on this. And so we have this message and then we have this method. But also, I, I believe here, there's this mentality as, as well. I love in, uh, in sports, I've been around coaching for a little bit, just, just with my kids. But there's this John Wooden phrase that always comes up that you always want your, 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 your team to exemplify two things that you can control. What are they, coaches? Attitude and effort, right? We see the effort here. We see the method here. There's this effort, this call, this, this, this effort that we're called to, but there's also this mentality that we're called to, this attitude that we're called to have about what's happening in the world. This mentality that we're called to have, and I believe Paul's exemplifying this as he's writing to us about Israel, as he's writing to us about where we are in the story, there's this mentality that God's also calling us to have. And the mentality is this. Uh, if, if you haven't caught it yet, I'd like you to write this down. Here's the mentality. Write this down. God is faithful. God is faithful. He is so much bigger. He is so much better than we are. Do you believe it? Look at verse 33. After Paul unpacks all of this, I love the way he ends this chapter. I love the, what he does. He does this thing that, that we sing every Sunday, most Sundays, called doxology. Where he, he just breaks out in praise. He just starts to say the things that he believes about who God is. Now, he recognizes there's things happening in our world. There's things happening in your life. There's things happening in your mind and your body that, are, that, that, that need to be rectified. And he breaks out in praise. Look at verse 33. It says this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Paul's just breaking out in praise about who God is. I love it. God is faithful. You know, as I've been 
wrestling with Romans 9, 10, and 11. Wrestling with, okay, God, you, you, you seem to be keep reminding me that you're in control, that you're sovereign, and there's this tension in me that feels like, but you're also saying I have a responsibility, and you're also saying that like I'm called to follow, and I'm called to this effort and this mentality, but yet you're in control. So like, like do I really even need to do anything? And then there's this call to confession of faith about who God is. And I believe here, we talked a few weeks back about just this call to dance in the mystery. Remember, Paul opens this up. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the mystery. What I love in 9, 10, 11 is Paul doesn't necessarily explain the mystery. He just explains our call to live in it. One of my favorite rap groups, I know, that's weird, uh, is this... uh, Christian rappers, and they, they're this band called Beautiful Eulogy, and they wrote this song called Sovereign. It's so rich, so powerful. I wanted to read you, I won't rap it to you because <clears throat> it's not my spiritual gift yet. Um, it says this, this world exists because you've commanded it, so is your hand in it? Or have you handed it over to man and turned away and abandoned it? Did you try your best and then left man to handle the rest? Will your plans find success or should we second guess? When world leaders are deceivers, eager to puff their chests, is life a game of chess? Do you have these kings in check? With so much evil, how can we believe you're good? But I finally understood when I saw a man nailed to wood. God is faithful. In the midst of this, we must not forget the story of scripture that God in his sovereignty looks upon us in our misery, in our sin, and what does he do? He sends the son to die for us so that we can have a right relationship with him. And this is the gospel we proclaim, this is the gospel we share. And so as you think about this mentality, don't miss this doxology. Second part that I'd like you to write down. God is faithful, and we owe him everything. And we owe him everything. Look at verse 34, he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? I love what Douglas Moo, commentator, says uh, on this passage. He writes about the, the fascination of being grafted in. He actually talked about how there was this uh, scientist, a, a guy named William Ramsey, who wrote an interesting article, which is still quoted today, in which he drew on both ancient and modern authorities. The process that Paul describes here about trees being grafted in, he wrote, was still in use in Palestine in exceptional circumstances, for it is customary to reinvigorate an olive tree, which is ceasing to bear tr- fruit, by grafting in it a shoot of the wild olive. So with the sap of the tree, it ennobles this wild shoot, and the tree now again begins to bear fruit. Hear this. Paul's reference, therefore, is not the ordinary process of grafting the young olive tree, but to the method of invigorating a decadent olive tree. In this case... What is contrary to nature is not the grafting, 
but the belonging. Namely, that the shoot has been cut from the wild olive to which it naturally belonged and has been grafted into the cultivated olive to which it does not naturally belong. This is the story of the gospel. That God has done a change in our hearts and we now belong to him. Finally, one last point. I know you're tired of the nine points, but hopefully you got a little help on filling them in. God is faithful, and he deserves all the glory. Look at what Paul does here. He says, from him and through him and to him all the things to him be glory forever. Amen. You know, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of questions, there's a lot of debate about how we navigate the days that we're in. And this is why I wanted you to write down God is faithful nine times today. I believe that that's the most important thing we can continue to tell each other and continue to share. I believe that that is the message for Israel. God is faithful. There's a great hymn that we sing. If you could, could you just close your eyes? As you think about your life, Maybe you think about Israel, or maybe you just think about your week. Maybe you just think about, about your future. You think about your job. You think about, uh, about, about, about the drive over here. As you think about this, I believe that this is the message that God has for you. He's telling you, I'm faithful. He's telling you, I will not let you down. I will keep my promises. He's singing this over you. Great is thy faith. Fullness, O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou believe you are faithful. God, we believe that you are faithful right now. And the reason we believe you are faithful, God, is because everything we've learned about you in our past, in your word, is that you have been faithful. And I pray, Lord, as we respond, I pray, God, as we think about this week, as we think about the fact that you have called us to a boldness and a courage to share this good news to anyone who will hear, 
I pray as we think about the unique calling that you've placed in each person here to share this good news to all the nations, in all the languages, in all the different ways, God, starting probably in our own home, in our own family, and most importantly, in our own heart. I pray, Lord, as we just navigate, God, this world, as we navigate the evil in this world, but most importantly, the evil in us, God, help us to remember these truths. God is faithful. Lord, I pray that this message would just live in our minds, that, we would, that it would dance in our thoughts, God. And when we get to these moments of doubt, when we get to these moments of question, I pray, God, that we would just continue to remember, great is thy faithfulness. God, you are good, you are God, and you are here. So help us, God to respond in faith. In your name we pray, amen. This time I'd like to invite the deacons down. The offering is a time for the church, a part in our liturgy, to respond to the word. You can respond by giving to the mission of the church. You can respond by giving to, to what God is doing in the local church. You can also spend some time to think about these truths that God is faithful, to, to, to sing with the church on, on giving your life, on, on giving it in response to him and his work on the cross and his gospel. And so I invite you as we respond in tithes and offerings, as we respond in worship, don't check out. Don't start thinking about that football game yet. This is a time for you to think about this word and to spend some time talking to the Lord, communing with him, with your church family. Let's ask for his blessing on this offering. God, I pray, God, that as we sing together, as we give to what you're doing here at Cornerstone, God, I pray, Lord, that we would give knowing that we are giving to a faithful God, that everything we give, you will do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. And God, you have a tendency, you have a, a track record of using our gifts, using us for your kingdom. And so God, we submit and we are eager to see what you have for us. In your name we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.